Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This week's presenting sponsor is Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas and one of this area's true hidden gems. One thing I love about the museum is how creative they are with their public events. Like, coming up in January, a Saturday morning weekly yoga class, which takes place in their art galleries. It's every weekend in January. Stay tuned, and you can learn more about it or visit panhandleplains.org. Today's guest is Phyllis Nickham, and when you think of interesting people and stories, well, she definitely has one. Phyllis is the owner-operator of Cowgirls and Cowboys in the West. It's a local tourism company. And if you were to go to TripAdvisor and look up Amarillo, Phyllis's company gets top billing as the number one thing to do in this area. And it's actually sort of her retirement, or at least a second career. She came to Amarillo as part of a long career before that in hotel management. In fact, Phyllis literally grew up in a hotel. This is a really fun one. It's Christmas week and everybody's thinking about travel. So talking to her about Amarillo's tourists and tourism seemed appropriate. Here's Phyllis Nickham. Phyllis Nickham, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Jason. Well, I know that we have a lot of different things that we can talk about um, because I I know your career has covered a lot of territory, but I want to start, and and this is how I like to start every conversation, is to just ask you how you ended up here in Amarillo in the first place. Well, I was born a little bitty baby. Well, no, just kidding. Actually, I was born in Alabama, but um, my father was a hotelier, and He had his own inns in the Northeast, and then he signed on with a fledgling company called Holiday Inn. Uh, I've heard of that fledgling company. Right, back in the day. What was that, like the 40s or 30s? No, it was the 50s, 50s? actually. I think he signed up in the 60s, actually. So um, my first thoughts on hospitality actually came from my father and my living arrangement because I grew up in hotels. Okay. As my father was one of the first startup managers with Holiday Inns of America, as it's called now. So I grew up in hotels. And, and is that like literally that's where you lived or you just spend a lot of time there? Because literally, your that there? is where I live. Okay, so there were like a living quarters Correct. for your family mm-hmm. within the hotel. Exactly. And my father introduced me to the hospitality industry. And as I grew up and I wanted to have a career of my own, I gravitated towards that, went to Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, Oklahoma, Okay. and um, specialized, majored in business administration and tourism. And then when it was time for me to get a real job, I started working in hotels. And where where did you first start working? I mean, what part of the, the world was that? Well, actually, I started in Texarkana, Texas, where okay. my dad managed a hotel, and I was nine years old. And I would answer the switchboard, unbeknownst to my father. So okay, you would just hear the phone ring, and, and you'd <laughs> right? Pick it up. And so I was bored and asked them if I could do that. So I started uh, answering the phone, you know, just to play around. And then, whenever I became a teenager in my 
I think, 13 or 14, whenever they were busy, I would ask if I could help. And I started washing dishes, and then I became a waitress as I grew older and a cashier and banquet server, and and that's how I spent my life, my adolescence. Everyone else was going to football games and, and playing with their friends, and I was working in a hotel. Did you grow up in multiple places? Or? I did. Okay. I did. Um, I think their first hotel was in Texarkana, Texas. Then they went to El Paso, Texas, and uh, ended up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. My dad usually stayed about six or seven years at every location, and he retired from Holiday Inns when I was 16, I think. And at that time, we had to move into a home. Right. And I had never done that. So I kept waiting to go to the restaurant to eat breakfast and waiting for the housekeeper to make my bed. And it was real rude awakening. My mother was not happy with me at that time in my life. I can imagine. It occurs to me that most people like won't have any of that kind of experience ever. So tell me what your living quarters were like. Did it feel like a hotel room or was it sort of different because no, it was... Your permanent place. It was an apartment. Okay. It had a living room. It had a kitchen. It had um, two bedrooms. It had two bathrooms. It was a beautiful apartment. And that was a perk for one of the uh, hotel managers Mm -hmm. many times in all hotels at that time. And um, it was just a great place to live. I knew no different. So whenever I moved into a home, it was totally alien from me. Yeah. But that's just the way I grew up. Can you look back at that and think and, and look at what you're doing now or what you ended up doing for a career besides just the hotel part? You know, is, is there any aspect of living in that unique way that, that kind of helped define anything about you or that taught you something that, that maybe you carried with you the rest of your life? Absolutely. I became very comfortable with work. Okay. Because my life revolved around work and people serving other people. And to me, it's second nature. I have an incredibly strong work ethic. And if there is anything that I could say thank you to my parents for, of course, loving me, but to, I would say thank you for teaching me such a strong work ethic. Okay. So you decided to, as an adult, get into the same industry mm-hmm. you know, that you, you grew up in. What did that look like you know, in your well, early years? Well, I started... Years, um, as an adult, you know, in your 20s or right. whatever. Well, I started working for a historic hotel in Tulsa, Oklahoma called the Mayo Hotel. Okay. And that was the first hotel apart from my parents that I ever worked at, and I just kind of ruled the roost because I knew what I was doing in there at a very young age, and I became very invaluable to management, and they moved me up very quickly. I became the assistant to the food and beverage director when I was 22 and managed all kinds of people, and, and it was a glorious experience there. And then I started working for hotel companies as managers and turnaround specialists. I would go into a hotel that was not doing so well. Okay. 
and I would take it over or assess what the situation was and um, make it better. That's how I ended up in Amarillo. Okay, and so tell me about the hotel that you ended up at. In 1994, I moved here. My parents were having failing health, and they had retired to a community called Bella Vista in Arkansas, and it's right next to Bentonville, the home of Sam Walton. Okay. And it was a beautiful community, and they loved it very much. But as time went on, their health started failing. And I was managing a hotel in Seattle at that time. And so a man who I had worked for previously gave me a call and said, I just bought four hotels in Amarillo, Texas. Would you come and help me? And I said, where? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think I'd driven through it once and just on the highway. But um, I had to look at the map. And then I looked at how short a distance it was to Bella Vista, Arkansas. It was only six hours. And because it was so close and because it was within driving distance, I said yes, because I needed to get to my parents' much more quickly than the plane could take me from Seattle. So I took over the sales and marketing for the Harvey Hotel, which was the name before the Ambassador, and the Holiday Inn Express, a Comfort Inn, and a Days Inn. Okay. When did the name change to the Ambassador? Because I I imagine a lot of people will remember the Ambassador, but may not have remembered it being called the Harvey. Correct. Well, the name changed very quickly after I arrived. Okay. We were, um, we made an agreement with Holiday Inns to turn it into a Crown Plaza Hotel. And... We were at a staff meeting one day, and we had names that were tossed around, do drop in, you know, this name, that name. But we stuck on Ambassador because that particular hotel was the ambassador of the community to so many. It was it was the biggest in Amarillo at the time. Yes, that- it was the biggest, and... It was. It had the potential of being a fine, fine hotel at that point. I remember when I came to interview, I was on the concierge level, and I noticed I looked down at the carpet, and there was duct tape on the carpet. Well, they were in such a state of disrepair at that point that they were duct taping the carpet together. So, you know, our goal was to turn it into a crown plaza and to elevate the property not only physically, but with service and Mm -hmm. standards and all of the things that come with a fine franchise like Crown Plaza. And is is that something that you found yourself doing when you would turn around a hotel? It was often one that maybe didn't have the budget to keep up with the repairs or had a lot of potential, but hadn't been able to get to that. And then you would come in and have to change not just the carpet, remove the duct tape, but change like the entire culture of the place. Exactly. Um, You would go in and do a feasibility study and determine, you know, what the market was like, what the market could bear, what the gaps were in particular services. And we did uh, feel that the Ambassador Hotel, as we named it, could be a an incredible hotel for Amarillo. And that became our goal. And we 
named it ambassador for only a short time. That was our goal. You know, it was a stopgap name Mm -hmm. to get to Crown Plaza. Well, several years later, when we were finishing up the renovation, we realized that the ambassador hotel name became a standalone name. Yeah. And that the community didn't want us to change the name again. So for, gosh, how many years it has been the ambassador? Over 20 years. We garnered many, many uh, awards. We were four times a top 100 hotel in the nation. Hmm. Um, We were top hotel in the city ever since they had the award up until I left in 2011. And it was just an incredible hotel. We entertained many dignitaries and movie stars and just had a great time. And of course, that was before some of the downtown hotels, you know, had been in the works. And and it was, you know, one of the the premier stops along I-40 as you went through town. Correct. Tell me about... I guess the uh, the process once you got to 2011, mm-hmm. you started thinking, you know, beyond your career in hotels. What right. what happened then? Well, my husband and I, I had married a lawyer named Ron Nickham, and he was getting somewhat weary of being called every morning at two and three in the morning because okay. it wasn't just me being called; it was him. Too. Right. Because, because you were getting right calls there. from the hotel exactly. to solve a problem or something. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, he knew how hard I worked and he knew all of the things because he watched it. And he said, you know, why don't you retire? I said, retire? I'm too young to retire. And he said, well, you really just think about it. So I How old were you at that point? Do you mind me asking? Yeah, I do mind you asking. You never ask a woman. Well, you know. I was in my mid-50s. Okay. which So that's not retirement age for most people. Correct. Actually, young 50s. There you go. So when I decided with his urging to retire from the hotel business, I was spent. Hmm. I did not realize how spent I was. Because your life had always been... On call, right. prepared for those early morning phone calls. Well, and I had, I had started a hotel company too. Okay. For the ownership of the hotel, we did everything to where many hotels will have a management company that will take care of things. Mm-hmm. We took care of everything. Okay. And we were very successful. I mean, there is no doubt how successful that hotel was. But when all of the weight is on two shoulders, it becomes very trying. So uh, we decided it was time to retire. And after about three weeks of being at home, trying to figure out, you know, I cleaned every closet and Mm -hmm. drawer and, you know, everything was spick and span. And I looked around and said, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? What do I want to do when I grow up? So that's the rest of the story. Okay. So before we get to the rest of the story, I do want to hear a little bit about Amarillo and the marketplace within the hotel world. Because you talked about you know, how the ambassador was a top performer, was getting awards as, as the best hotel in Amarillo. What, what was that period like just in terms of travelers coming through, people stopping here? You know, what, what was that world? It was glorious. Um, we had a, completed a beautiful renovation of the hotel. 
our marketing and sales was stellar. So all of the major corporations stayed at our hotel. If any VIP was coming in, they would stay at our hotel. We had a concierge level that was private key access. Okay. We had a concierge up there that attended to their every need. It was a special place to be. I could write a book, but the names will be kept secret. I will not do that to the Amarillo community. <laughs> but a con- constant flow of A constant visitors, flow of right? incredible visitors. And people wanted to stay there. Uh, to not have a franchise name, to not have anything drive that, mm-hmm. to just have a little hotel of 265 rooms in Amarillo, Texas, garner that kind of praise is pretty unheard of. And it was it was getting business travelers, but also like tourists coming through. Absolutely. Right? And anyway. I, I imagine you had a chance to interact with with all of them to find we out had, why they were there and we what they were We had conventions. Doing. We had um, individual travelers. We would, had family reunions, high school reunions. We had every VIP that would come to Amarillo, whether it was Angelina Jolie, John Travolta, my favorite, Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. All of them stayed at the Ambassador. We had a presidential and ambassador suite, of which the presidential suite was all renovated and decorated as a Texas cattleman would decorate it. Yes. And uh, when Paul McCartney came, which was my only celebrity crush, I put him in there, Mm -hmm. not knowing that he was a strict vegetarian. Oh, really? (laughs) So he, he did not mind it at all. He and I laughed about that. So... Okay, so you you have that career in a, a storied hotel in Amarillo and then find yourself retired trying to figure out what's next. So tell me about that process. How did you decide what to do in your retirement? Well, my husband and I uh, had a ranch, and it's a beautiful ranch. It's on the rim of Paladuro Canyon. And we spent a great deal of time out there riding horses and just live in the Western way of life. We had another ranch in Headley. We worked cattle. I felt very honored to be one of the few women who would go out there branding and gathering cattle with Mm -hmm. the cowboys. But I looked around and said, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Well, I want to ride horses. Hmm. I want to also tell the world about the Western way of life. I want to pay homage to Texas, to the cowboys, to the cowgirls, to all of the people who settled the land. And I had the perfect venue to do that. And I had the hospitality experience. I'm a quasi-historian myself. And by working at the Ambassador and interacting with all of the clients, I knew how important the Texas heritage was. We redecorated the hotel in that Texas theme. So I said, you know, I got a chuck wagon. I started doing chuck wagon events. And then more people wanted to ride horses than actually wanted to do the chuck wagon. So, I mean, we do both now. But the majority of our business is people coming to the ranch on the beautiful rim of Paladuro Canyon, that most historic place. And we take them horseback riding 
and we tell them the history of our land. Okay. And so that's how it rolled out. And currently, we're number one on TripAdvisor. We are the number one attraction in all of Amarillo. And it's just a little old thousand-acre ranch with beautiful American quarter horses and incredible cowboys and cowgirls, most who are students from West Texas A&M University. And that's all we do is we tell them about our land and let them ride our beautiful American quarter horses. And so this was this was not, you know, part of your personal history. You grew up all over the place. Correct. And in hotels, you didn't grow up, you know, riding right. horses or um, out on ranches. But you began to see so many people coming here that that was a draw for them. And if Correct. not a draw, that was a, a passion maybe that they had developed about this It was place. their bucket list. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many Europeans we've had come out there, and they are thrilled I mean, thrilled, giddy to be able to ride a horse in Texas and hear the history of our land to where we may take it for granted Mm -hmm. every day. We don't think about our history. We don't think about the fortitude and the tenacity that it took our forefathers to come here and settle this land. Those people know the stories And they want to hear more about it. They want to live it. There was a young lady from Slovakia. Okay. And she was on her horse, and she and I had pushed some cattle around and done some really cool things out on the ranch. But we got on this one place on the rim, and she and I were out on a solo ride. And she swung the horse around and looked at me, and she said, as a little girl, I read all of the books about Palo Duro Canyon, Quanta Parker, and Charles Goodnight, and I can't believe I'm finally here. Wow. It gave me goosebumps. It was a moment that I will never, ever forget in my whole life. And how many people who live here have that sort of reading background, you know, have devoured all those books like she did? Probably very few. Not many, Yes. I'm interested just in sort of the numbers, like like how many people come each season or during the, the summer high point. How many people do you end up working with? Well, um, high season is, of course, high season. We do not ride all day. Okay. We ride in the early mornings, and we start our rides at sunup just like the okay. cowboys do, and that's what we tell them. We do this just like a ranch because it is a ranch. So our first ride is at 7.30 in the morning, and we usually go for a couple of hours, and then we do a second ride at 9.30, and then we're out of the saddle at noon. But we could have 18 to 20 people, Okay, and that is that is an average day for us during the summer. But... We don't push it any more than that. I don't want my horses out in the heat. I don't want my guests out in the heat, and I will certainly not have my wranglers out in the heat. And we do it very graciously. I like to make a dollar or two, but that isn't my focus. My focus is to give a great experience to our tourism travelers. And that's happening every day of the year? Pretty much in the summer, for sure. Okay. But when school starts, we find that business slows down. So we do currently during uh, spring and fall, we do sunset rides during the weekdays. And on weekends, we will start the rides a little earlier. And um, 
it's quite surprising because our business will be very robust through November. Really? When we normally will shut down for the holidays. We work very hard during high season and shoulder season. So during the low season, we will shut down and enjoy the holidays okay. with our family. And who are your clients? I mean, I'm just curious. Are a lot of them, can you say a majority are from the United States or a majority are from overseas? Are some from Texas? I mean, who's, who's I coming? I would say 50% of my travelers are domestic okay, and 50% are international travelers. And the number one international country is Great Britain, okay. uh, followed by Germany, the Scandinavian countries after that, and Ireland and Scotland will, will be in there too. Are they, are they passing through? I mean, are they doing like a Route 66 tour, or do some of them come directly for this? And um, we have people who come from Dallas to ride with us, definitely from Lubbock. Mm -hmm. But a lot of the international travelers are coming down Route 66. The domestic travelers are just looking for the number one attraction okay. on Route 66. And many are equestrians who are wanting a more spirited ride than your normal nose-to-tail ride. Okay, so a, some of them have riding experience. And some do, but the majority of our riders don't. What are some of the stories that you tell them? You know, may, maybe we don't have time in a podcast for you to, to, to tell a whole story, but like, do you, what do you talk about? Do you talk about Colonel Goodnight and, you know, the history of the canyon, those sorts of things? Absolutely. We just say that the canyon is millions of years old. It was the home of prehistoric men who hunted woolly mammoths and saber-toothed tigers. And more recently, it's been the home of what we now know as Native American Indians, mm -hmm. the most prominent being the Comanche Indians, who were the most powerful Indian tribe in American history. And this was their land, the land we own was their land. It was the last free home of the Comanches. And we tell them about the normal life of a Comanche. We tell them about the Battle of Paladuro Canyon. We tell about what incredible horsemen and horsewomen they were. And we also have them understand how special it is for them to be riding on the land that was the last free home of the most powerful Indians in American history and the greatest horsemen and horsewomen. Mm. We don't pressure them in that statement, but we do want them to know how special this is. It isn't just a horseback ride. Right. It is a historical experience. What kinds of comments, I guess, do you hear from those? I mean, is it, is it always meet the expectations that they had, whether it's about being on horseback, about you know, seeing the landscape, about having this Western experience? I mean, is, are they always getting what they wanted or are they like going away with something more? Well, we seem to exceed their expectations. Uh, according to the comments on TripAdvisor, um, I think we have 700 and I think I checked this morning, 717. And of those 717, I think 14 were very good, and I think one was poor because she did something wrong, and <laughs> she got mad. But 
the 700 of those comments are excellent. So they go away feeling special. Mm -hmm. They feel like the experience has been very special. And they feel like they definitely got their money's worth. I think it's it's fascinating to me that you grew up in the hospitality world. You spent a career in the hospitality world. You're still in the hospitality world. But like one career was in hotels and the other career is like on horseback. Correct. You know, your environment has changed drastically, but you're still kind of doing the same thing. You're meeting expectations. You're giving people a special experience. You're an advocate for this area. Well, and I feel that we are. We definitely are because we have the audience of our guests for over two hours. We tell them about our area. We tell them where to go if they want a restaurant, a hotel. We make them feel so welcome that many have said, of all of my activities on Route 66, this was the highlight. I will never forget this. Thank you for giving me the best check off my bucket list Hmm. ever. And it's a very emotional thing for them. We have families who come every year and they bring their children and they want to experience it over and over again. Our chuck wagon events, we have people from all over the world come in on a bus and they want to hear our stories. They want to watch the cowgirls and cowboys on the horses. They want to eat the chuck wagon food from the chuck wagon. Um, it's really special. I could go on and on, but I am fed off the comments okay. and the reactions from the guest. And I would not do it if it weren't fun. What kind of impression does... Amarillo, the city, make on them. I know you're you're outside the city, mm-hmm. you know, a few miles, but a lot of them probably are staying here before they, they come out to ride. I mean, do you have a sense of what they find, you know, beyond just what they do on horseback? What do they find here? They find friendly people. They find a um, pride in the heritage. They find cowboys with uh, cowboy hats and mm-hmm. boots and wranglers. That's always a great comment. They find authenticity. We are what we say we are. Do you think that that's unique in this world or different from some other places that maybe they've been? Probably. You know, we are a smaller community. Of course, you have Dallas that has cowboys and cowboy hats and all of this, but they're so diversified. Mm -hmm. You know, our economy is so agriculture and cattle laden, that it's not unusual to see uh, cowboys and cowgirls. And, you know, we live the life. You know, we're not a uh, urban cowboy. We right. are the real deal. I'm curious about, you know, your, your career before you got to Amarillo. You lived in so many different places. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of by chance, somebody called you, you ended up here, and you spent the rest of your life here. Right. Um, now a second career here. Can you look back and and figure out like what was behind that decision to stay, you know, to stop going from one place to another and to find a place and and like put down roots like you did here? Probably it was, you know, going from hotel to hotel, I would normally stay there about a year. It would take me, Mm -hmm. you know, I've done this in New York and 
Phoenix and Seattle and all places, you know, in between. And I became desensitized to the area. Okay. I would go in there as a tourist. I would enjoy the best things that they had to offer, but I really didn't have a connection until I got here. And there's just something about Amarillo, oddly enough, that just grabs a hold of you and you don't want to leave. But you, can you identify what that might have been? A heart. Okay. You know, I think the people are genuine. I think they're friendly. I think the landscape is beautiful. Uh, Paladero Canyon offers a diversity and uh, a rich, rich earthiness that you don't see all over the country. And it's so accessible, you can touch it. This week's episode is sponsored by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum, located in Canyon on the campus of West Texas A&M. Now, I'm a huge fan of this museum. It's the largest history museum in Texas. And one of the things I'm trying to do with this podcast is create a record of life here in Amarillo and Canyon during this moment of time. Well, Panhandle Plains has been actively doing that since it opened in 1921. And what you may not know is that the museum itself is nonprofit. The university helps out with things like insurance and building maintenance, but the museum's primarily funded by membership and donations and visitor fees. So if it's been a while since you dropped in, go check it out. Now here's something that you'll want to know about that's coming up. It's called Mindfulness at the Museum, Art Centered. And it's a yoga class centered in the museum's art galleries at 10 a.m. every Saturday in January. So you can find your center, you can bliss out, you can get a little bit of exercise at PPHM with a friendly back-to-basics yoga class while you're surrounded by one of the Panhandle's best collections of art. The cost is $40 for all four Saturdays in January, and tickets and space for this are limited. So if you're interested, I think it sounds really interesting, go visit panhandleplains.org and you can reserve your spot today. Okay, I'm back with Phyllis Nickham of Cowgirls and Cowboys in the West. Phyllis, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. I'm going to ask you eight straight questions as my guest. Your job is to answer those in as much detail as you want to. Uh, Most of these are questions that I've asked of other guests, except for the first one. I wanted to ask this specifically of you. What's one thing that really surprises your guests about this area? They come in, it's on their bucket list, or they have expectations, you know, but what's, what's surprising to them? How friendly the people are. Okay. Everyone opens their arms to the visitors. We're just friendly people, and that is very surprising to the world. Especially coming from cultures, you know, whether it's in Europe, um, Great Britain, you know, where you don't automatically say hi to somebody when you pass them on the street. Exactly. Exactly. And they always comment on that, the friendliness of our, our people here. What's your favorite Amarillo restaurant? Any restaurant that serves fried green tomatoes. Okay. I'm a Southern girl. I was born in Alabama. And I love fried green tomatoes. And there are several out there. Yeah. Have you found one that nope. does what you want? Nope. Not There's yet? several. Okay. There are several. What does this area have too much of? Wind. All right. We have wind. And being on horseback and guiding guests to the edge of the rim, mm-hmm. that wind can sometimes just really take your breath away. But I would say of anything, we have too much wind. 
nothing you can do about that, though. No. So it's <laughs> one of those that's out of your hands. It's right? in God's hands. What does this area not have enough of? Updated meeting space. Okay. We have a lot of travelers who come here. We have a lot of competition mm-hmm. for meetings and conventions. And my heart goes out to the Convention and Visitors Bureau because, you know, whatever your political thoughts are on this, we just don't have a civic center that has stellar meeting space. Right. We've got the four walls. They're just not decorated nicely. And and so we it's have primarily sh- for conventions Correct. and large gatherings and, and things meetings like that. and and all kinds of trade shows and things like that. Uh, concerts, whatever. We just, um, our civic center, they do a great job with what they have, but we just don't have enough incredible meeting space. And the the ambassador once provided a pretty substantial convention area. Uh, We had about 10,000 square feet of meeting space, so that has been taken out of the marketplace. So, you know, there is really a need for an upgrade at the civic center with that meeting space. Okay. And what types of like groups do you think we're not getting, you know, that, that would typically use spaces like that? that um, small meetings, okay. um, you know, not international or national conventions for sure, because Amarillo would not be a destination right. for that, but regional meetings, okay. things like that. So we're just, there's a lot of competition right now with other cities for that. Okay. And either we renovate the Civic Center downtown or build another convention center. You know, we have choices, but, you know, I prefer renovating the convention I, center. I, that makes sense to me. Yes. What's the most underrated aspect of living here? How beautiful the community is. Okay. You know, everyone thinks it's absolutely flat, and certainly there are flat locations, but if you get into the uh, Paladero Canyon, you go into Wolfland, you drive around and see, you know, the diversity of the communities, the the neighborhoods, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful. What's the landscape like on your ranch? I know it's on the rim. Is it flat part, and then it just drops off? Well, we have some uh, pasture land, okay. uh, but we also have breaks going into Paladero right. Canyon. So I think the so land is then. gorgeous. That's my favorite neighborhood. Is, is your <laughs> ranch itself. Exactly. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Um, eight years ago. Okay. I typically ask people when's the last time you went to Paladero Canyon, but I know you were probably there this right, morning. So right. So eight years ago? Eight years ago, we took some promo photos for the business, for some brochures, and I haven't been there since. Okay. Matter of fact, I think that was my first time ever being there. Really? Even exactly. being in the hotel industry? Exactly. Pointing any number of people in that I, direction? I know what but. the tourists want. They want to be there, but I just had not made my way to that location yet. Okay. What's your favorite season in the Panhandle? I think fall. I think fall or spring. But I like the um, mildness of the climate. Okay. Keep in mind, I'm on horseback a lot. You're you're out in the weather. I am. And I only ride till noon in the summer because it's so hot. And... Only if a calf is sick, a cow or a bull is sick, will I get on a horse 
when it's freezing. Okay. So fall is is that perfect, you know. It is. Happy medium between mm-hmm. the really cold weather. And, and spring is one of my favorites too because we have spring break and an influx of guests okay. coming in to ride horses and right. have our chuck wagon events. What's your favorite Amarillo neighborhood? And I, I know that you just said that your favorite neighborhood is your ranch. My so ranch. I, that's that's not even an Amarillo neighborhood. I don't know if, if I can allow that. Okay. Well, we used to live in Wolfland okay. too, so I will I will give that a close second. All right. Well, Phyllis, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what is one thing that you would like listeners to know about or to experience here in the Panhandle? I thought really long and hard on that one. And thank you for asking it, by the way. Of course. I would be remiss in not uh, speaking for the Amarillo Convention and Visitors Bureau. Okay. Uh, Those folks do very hard work. They have to be smiling all the time Mm -hmm. when the competition is just hot on their heels, when they're given very little money to work with. Um, A lot of the money has been diverted to other projects. So they do great work with very little money, and they do so much work for all of us. Every traveler who comes into Amarillo spends money at the hotels, they spend money at the restaurants, they buy gas, they buy snacks, they go shopping at whatever mall they want to go shopping at. They uh, spend time here, and that money not only goes into the uh, coffers of the business owners, it comes into our tax dollars. Right. And it's a money that is brought in from the outside, so we don't even have to reinvest in our community. Others are. So they do a great job in promoting Amarillo. I think any business can conduct itself in better ways, but I think they do a great job. Okay. Phyllis Nickham, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you, Jason. It. it was great. And that concludes the show. First, I want to say thanks to Phyllis for being on the podcast. To learn more about her company, visit cowgirlsandcowboysinthewest.com. Thanks also to Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for sponsoring the episode. The museum is closed on Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but if you have family in town for the holidays, consider taking them to the museum. Um, I want to say thanks, as always, to my editor, Angelina Marie. Hiring her to edit these shows was the best decision I made in 2019. And, of course, I'm incredibly grateful to my executive producers, Ryan Pennington, Daniel Davis, Corey Burns, Jennifer Callahan, Chris Zelda, Josh Wood, Patrick Burns, Wes Reeves, Wilson Lemieux, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, and Neil Nossiman. All of those good people support the show through patreon.com slash heyamarillo. And if you're looking for a way to invest in Amarillo for 2020, maybe consider supporting the podcast. I mean, don't take money away from like High Plains Food Bank or anything. Think of them first. But I would love your support. So thank you for listening. This has been episode 117. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.